Transfiguration of the Lord Prayer Psalm 97 The Lord is King. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples behold his glory. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Reading the Word First reading, Daniel chapter 7 As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand of thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Second reading, Second Peter chapter 1 For we did not follow cleverly, devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star raises in your hearts. Gospel, Matthew chapter 17 Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, 
one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Hearing the word, the turning point. The Feast of Transfiguration commemorates an event which took place at the turning point in Jesus' life and ministry. Therefore, the theme of major change dominates today's liturgy. The first reading leads us into the theme of the turning point with a particularly important passage from the book of Daniel a vision of one like a human being, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. The book of Daniel originates from the time of a great crisis in the history of Israel, when King Antiochus Epiphanes attempted to erase the Jewish faith from the face of the earth through the greatest religious persecution in Israel's history. The prophet Daniel, writing in the midst of this terrible time, sees a vision that assures him that the great turning point is about to occur. God will decisively intervene to defend and vindicate his people. This vindication will occur through someone coming with the clouds of heaven and looking like a human being. There are many interpretations of who this figure is and what the image symbolizes. In the Gospels, this very image is consistently applied to Jesus, who likes to call himself the Son of Man. But in the book of Daniel, this human-like figure is most likely an angel who represents the people of Israel before God in heaven. This heavenly representative receives from God kingship and authority over all other nations on behalf of the people. In this symbolic way, the visionary anticipates the turning point in history, the end of persecution and the reign of the righteous ones of God on earth. The second letter of Peter is considered the youngest book in the New Testament and is dated to about 120 AD. It was written under the name of Peter, who had been long dead, to remind the early Christians about some essentials which they might have lost sight of in the long decades after Jesus' resurrection and the death of his disciples. One of those problematic issues was the delay of the return of Jesus to the earth. This delay caused many to lose zeal and even hope that Christ would ever return. This, in turn, resulted in laxity in faith and practice, and even led some 
to abandon Christianity altogether. In Second Peter, the author, evoking the authority of the chief apostle, reassures his readers that Jesus will return because he is a glorified Lord. To prove his point, he recalls the transfiguration of James and John personally witnessed. These eyewitnesses testified that Jesus, while appearing as a human being, was God's Son, confirmed as such by the Father. Their experience was not an illusion or hallucination or a myth. Rather, it was a turning point in their life as they were assured beyond any doubt that Jesus is God's Son. Recalling this experience for his readers, the author accomplished two purposes. First, he confirmed that Jesus coming into the world as God's Son was the turning point in the world's history, as through him salvation and the offer of life eternal have arrived. Second, having confirmed this through an appeal to eyewitnesses, the author exhorts the Christians to hold firm to their faith and make constant progress in virtue according to Jesus' teaching. The story of the transfiguration in all three synoptic gospels occurs in exactly the same place, right after Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus' first passion prediction. After this, Jesus began his journey towards Jerusalem to face the cross. Transfiguration is the first event on that journey. Together with Peter's confession, the transfiguration stands at the crossroads in Jesus' life and at the turning point in his earthly ministry. There are three parts to the transfiguration story. First, as we arrive on the mountain of the transfiguration, Jesus is revealed as a heavenly being. The radiance of his face the transformation of his governments, and the conversation with Moses and Elijah. The greatest prophets of the Old Testament bless him firmly in this supernatural world. While on earth and in the human body, Jesus is, at the same time, a heavenly being. Second, Peter makes his sincere part rather silly proposal to build three huts for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. His mistake lies in placing Jesus on the same level as the two great prophets. He simply considers Jesus as one of them, whence his intention to place them alongside one another. God corrected his mistake with a powerful proclamation that Jesus is not one of the prophets, but he is God's own son and the beloved one, to be listened to and followed because he truly represents God on earth. The third and final part shows the disciples falling to the ground with fear in a sigh of reverence for Jesus, who is the only one they see as they rise to their feet again. The story concludes with the descent from the mountain to continue the journey to Jerusalem and into death. However, 
Jesus' final words to the disciples reassure them that death will not be the end, as he alludes to the resurrection. The entire story of transfiguration is more about the disciples than about Jesus. By revealing himself to them as a heavenly being, and by being confirmed as such by God the Father, Jesus provided the disciples with the knowledge and assurance they needed in order to accompany him to Jerusalem, and most importantly, to understand that his resurrection was God's plan from the very beginning. Transfiguration might have been a turning point in Jesus' life as he started on his journey towards death, but even more, it was a turning point for the disciples as far as their understanding of Jesus in his purposes was concerned. From now on, they knew that Jesus, the divine person, goes to Jerusalem to willingly confront death, but with the perspective of the resurrection. We find a number of significant events which can be identified as turning points in the scripture. Today's liturgy reveals that these turning points are a part of God's salvific plan. This is very evident in the vision of Daniel, which anticipates God's intervention in history on behalf of his people. Christians interpret this vision of Daniel as referring to Christ and his eventual return at the end of times. In the second reading, we learn that Jesus' coming to the earth was the turning point in our history, as those who saw Jesus' true identity testified. Finally, the Gospel, while showing Jesus' transfiguration as the turning point in his life, also demonstrates how that event was the turning point in the disciples' understanding of his mission and purpose. Turning points might be frightening and difficult. Yet today's liturgy assures us that they fall within God's plan of salvation. Hence, with the psalmist, we can celebrate joining him in the joyful acclamation that the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples behold his glory. Listening to the Word of God Turning points represent those events in our personal lives and in the political, economic, social, and church realms that completely change the course of history. These events come in different forms. Some are tragic, others exciting, surprising, joyful, or frightening. Yet they all tend to be unexpected and life-changing. Turning points come through many different channels, including failures, achievements, life's tragedies, life's blessings, aging, etc. But people in particular can influence and change lives for better or for worse. Someone attending a conference sat next to a professor from the U.S. and, from the conversation, came an opportunity to travel and teach in the U.S. Another sat next to someone at her aunt's wedding, fell in love, and later was betrayed and had her heart broken. At the social level, events change destinies of countries, churches, businesses, and the world. 
One example of such an event was the dramatic resignation of Pope Benedict. Many thought that this would signal the demise of the Catholic Church. Yet, in retrospect, we see that this was a turning point in the Church's history as it brought about the election of Pope Francis. This dramatic change brought a new era that has made the Catholic Church one of the most influential in the modern times, thanks to his extraordinary leadership. In 1995, after years of apartheid and oppression against all odds, South Africa elected the first democratic government. Its leader, the first black president, transformed not only South Africa, but the world through his leadership, strength of character, and extraordinary generosity of spirit. This was the late, beloved Nelson Madiba Mandela. In the medical field, the production of ARVs to treat HIV and allow people living with HIV to live longer and healthier lives was a breakthrough that dramatically changed the lives of so many. But other turning points in the history of modern Africa are not so positive. Elections in particular continue to create chaos and cause social upheavals and numerous deaths in many countries. Turning points at both personal and social levels are inevitable and will continue to happen. For Christians, however, the belief that God oversees their lives and world history is the basis of faith in the most difficult personal and social circumstances. Having faith in God does not stop events that are turning points from happening, but in the midst of these events, our faith encourages us to look beyond and see the presence of God with us at all times. Today, there are some Christian leaders who mislead others by portraying obedience to God and paying tithes as insurance that prevents misfortunes from happening. This is harmful because when difficult and unfavorable events do happen, many lose faith and leave the faith or feel let down by God. This is an ever-present danger in our faith when we look and judge events as signaling either the presence or the absence of God. When something good happens, we praise God, and when something difficult happens, we believe God is not with us or is punishing us. The Feast of Transfiguration teaches us that God is always present irrespective of what happens in our lives, and is working out a greater plan not only for us, but for the world through us. When the music changes, so does the dance. Action. Self-examination. Events and people who change our lives remind us of God's action, not absence. Think of an event 
that was difficult or tragic, yet worked out for good in your life. Reflect on this as evidence that God is with you at all times. Response to God Resolve to hold on to faith and confidence in all circumstances of your life, difficult, tragic, or joyful. Give thanks for God's involvement in your life and that of your nation and the world. Confess times when you fail to trust God in difficult times. Response to your world Commit to be with people who are going through difficult times as a channel of God's presence. Email, text, or phone someone who is going through a difficult time and offer practical assistance. As a group, write a letter to a local newsletter or newspaper about current issues and be a channel of hope without compromising truth and justice. Rebrand yourself as someone who is a channel of hope for others. O Lord God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen.